and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. A few things really quick before we get into the episode. I am opening submissions for kids and teens Halloween submissions. (laughs) Please put in the subject line either kids episode submission or teen episode submission. For those who are new here and didn't hear my ramble on the end of last episode, every year I do a special kids episode and a special teen episode for Halloween so I can, you know, boost some youthful voices in the horror community and in the writing community. So in the body along with the story, please note the age of the submitter and what name I should call them by on the show. So not necessarily, you can put in their real name, but whatever you feel is the safest for me to say publicly on the show. And that could even be anonymous if you'd like, you know, first name, first initial, first and last, you can even do a full name if you'd like, but I know kids safety is number one. So just let me know what you'd like me to call them. Um, Again, those ages are for the kid episode, anyone aged 12 and under, and for the teens, anyone 13 to 17. I cannot wait to see what you have for me. I'm so excited. Also, I was a guest on the Weird Crew podcast where I got to chat with the hosts, Anthony and Cynthia, for a while about everything from gatekeeping podcasters to celebrities to what terrifying things lurk in our oceans. Check that out. It's the Weird Crew podcast, and I will link that episode in the show notes. Okay, now let's get into the episode. This week is another dive into some less than fictional subjects. I had a really bad cold and sore throat earlier this week, so I wanted to take this week to give my vocal cords a little bit of rest, or not this whole week actually, I'm, I'm recording two episodes of this my new show that's coming out soon, so this episode I wanted to give my vocal cords a little bit of a rest from any monster noises or alien voices, so yes, if you were wondering, usually when there's a monster voice or growl or an alien voice, that is me doing that. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do on weeks like this is to just sit and tell you about some weird high strangeness that could be going on right under our noses. You all loved my time slips episode, so I wanted to visit a related subject. Time travelers. Do they exist? Have we figured out time travel in the future? Are they traveling through time, or would a more appropriate title be Interdimensional Travelers? I know, I have a healthy bunch of skeptics who listen to the show. You've definitely made yourselves heard before in emails and on social media, but I ask you, just play with me in this space. Open your mind for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. Let yourself explore the simple question... What if? I wanted to start first with an interesting entry I found on arxiv.org. Arxiv is a free distribution service and an open access archive for almost two million scholarly articles in the fields of physics, mathematics, computer science, quantitative biology, quantitative finance, statistics, electrical engineering, and system science, and economics. This was submitted on the 26th of December, 2013, and is titled 
Searching the Internet for Evidence of Time Travelers by Robert J. Nemiroff and Teresa Wilson. They said, Time travel has captured the public imagination for much of the past century, but little has been done to actually search for time travelers. Here, three implementations of internet searches for time travelers are described, all seeking a prescient mention of information not previously available. The first search covered prescient content placed on the internet, highlighted by a comprehensive search for specific terms in tweets on Twitter. The second search examined prescient inquiries submitted to a search engine, highlighted by a comprehensive search for specific search terms submitted to a popular astronomy website. The third search involved a request for a direct internet communication, either by email or tweet, predating to the time of the inquiry. Given practical verifiability concerns, only time travelers from the future were investigated. No time travelers were discovered. Although these negative results do not disprove time travel, given the great reach of the internet, this search is perhaps the most comprehensive to date. And I'm sure right now you're asking yourself, Shelby, why would you start this episode with proof against time travelers? And here's why. I think it's incredibly fascinating that Robert, a professor of physics at Michigan University, and Teresa, who has a PhD in physics, spent their precious time even looking into the idea of time travel to submit their findings to Cornell University. Many scholars agree that time and dimensions are not as linear as once thought. So finding this entry means that some very well-educated people on the subject don't see time travel as something that is just the subject of science fiction novels. They see it as plausible enough to spend time and money researching it. So for our first time traveler, we're going to have to do a little time traveling ourselves back to the year 1998. Many of you are probably familiar with the infamous radio show, Coast to Coast AM, a staple for those of us interested in anything paranormal, supernatural, or interdimensional. It's still around, and I suggest checking it out if you're at all into old radio shows where people can call in and talk about being abducted by aliens, or meeting the Jersey Devil, or a whole plethora of crazy topics. The host in 1998, when our story begins, was the creator of Coast to Coast, the beloved Art Bell. Art had decided to dedicate an entire line just to time travelers. He said if there were any real time travelers out there listening, he encouraged them to contact him. Well, on July 29th of that year, Art received the following facts. Dear Art, I had to fax when I heard other time travelers calling in from any time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactor research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forward and backward in time. 
time itself can be understood in terms of connected lines. When you go back in time, you travel on your original timeline. When you turn the singularity engine off, a new timeline is created due to the fact that you and your time machine are now there. Some interesting outcomes of this are, one, you meet yourself. I have done it often, even taking a younger version of myself along for a few rides before returning myself to the new timeline and going back to mine. Two, you can alter history in the new universe that you have just created. Most of the time, the changes are subtle. Sometimes I'll notice car models that don't exist or books that come out late. Unfortunately, it was also discovered that anyone going forward in time from my 2036 hit a brick wall in the year 2564. Please pray that we discover the reason why there is no apparent future after 2564. He also sent this next fax. Dear Mr. Bell, I am glad you're back. I faxed this information to you the day before you left the air. I wanted to make sure it wasn't lost in the shuffle, so I am sending a gift. As I said then, I am a time traveler. I have been on this world line since April of this year, and I plan to leave soon. Typically, time travelers do not purposely affect the world lines they visit. However, this mission is unusually long, and I have grown attached to some of the people I have met here. John called into Coast to Coast several times. He even once had a woman call in with him who claimed to be his mother. During these calls, Teeter would claim to know horrible things about our future, such as people freezing to death thanks to the aftermath of Y2K. I know I have a lot of young listeners, and you may not realize how scary Y2K was during the last part of the 90s. It was like, not only is the century ending, the whole millennium is ending. What happens now? Will all of our computers fail? Will all of our infrastructure fail because the computers failed? Is the Book of Revelations going to play out in front of us? Will we be having to Mad Max our way around the wastelands? So many possibilities. All of them were terrifying. So, some guy coming out of the woodwork to say, Hi, my name is John. I'm a time traveler and Y2K is going to be, like, really, really bad and could even result in a civil war. It wasn't that crazy of an idea to a lot of people at the time. Well... When the year 2000 did arrive, and shortly after midnight, I was being shaken awake by my dad saying, Hey, you missed the new millennium, because I was only 11 and staying up till midnight was still a feat I had not yet conquered, I realized Y2K came and went. And thanks to a lot of IT techs, nothing bad happened to the computers, no infrastructure failed, and no cool Mad Max cars for anybody. In the fall of that year... That's the first time that user TimeTravel underscore zero posted in the forums for the Time Travel Institute website. His first post described the six parts needed for a working time machine. And write these down if you're ready to build your own. Those six things were two magnetic housing units for the dual micro singularities, an electron injection manifold to alter mass and gravity of the micro-singularities, a cooling and x-ray venting system, gravity sensors or a variable gravity lock, four main cesium locks, clocks, clocks, not locks, 
three main computer units. According to the Post, the device was installed in the rear of a 1966 Chevrolet Corvette convertible. Later, I think it was changed to a 1987 truck that had four-wheel drive. So, (laughs) yeah. Quickly, people realized that time travel underscore zero was the same person as John Teeter, who, along with faxing and calling into Coast to Coast AM, was also an active member of the Art Bell's BBS online forums. And look, people on the forums didn't jump to believe him. I hope you don't think everyone who listens to Coast to Coast is that gullible. In fact, John received a lot of pushback and was questioned a lot by the other users. Here's an example. Um, This was a user named Mike Kolesnik. He replied to John's initial post about being a time traveler with, Okay, John, answer just a few questions. Ho-hum, another time traveler. Well, time to run him through the BSO meter. Did you ever notice how time travelers never specify events that happen in the near future, as in a week to a month or so? The reason why is because then people could check on these events to determine if they have happened or not. Well, John, answer a few questions that any person from the future should know, or at least have easy access to. Number one, what was the final death count in the recent India earthquake? Number two, what is the ginger IT invention? Number three, who wins the Stanley Cup hockey this year? Look, I'm just reading it the way it was written. (laughs) I did not say Stanley Cup hockey, I promise. So, John had an interesting response for Mike. How do you figure I have easy access? I can appreciate your skepticism, but I must admit, I'm confused by your choice of questions. I fail to understand why a time traveler would be expected to know the details you ask. Right now, do any of you know the details of the first week in February for 1970? For that matter, could you tell me from memory if it rained in Atlanta last week? Is a sports almanac a required or expected piece of equipment for all time machines? At least you didn't ask the standard, what stock should I buy question. Interesting that no one ever asks which stocks to sell. I'm sure my answers will be quite unsatisfying, but you should know, I do not want your unshakable faith, nor do I think anyone should give it so easily if a time traveler were able to answer those questions. In fact, over this medium, it's impossible to prove I'm a time traveler. Therefore, it's impossible to believe. Actually, I depend on that a great deal, so I don't have to worry about being picked up by your friendly law enforcement officers. What do you think they would do with two micro-singularities? So here goes. Number one, I have no idea. Number two, it looks like some sort of motorized scooter. What do you think it is? Number three, I know this one, but I think it would be unfair and immoral for anyone to win a bet based on something I've told them. As always, I have a link in my show notes to the sources tab on my website. If you click on the web archive of the Art Bell Forum, you can read through the whole exchange yourself. So John had quite a few predictions. A lot of people call them predictions, but I guess they would be more like warnings 
because he wasn't Nostradamus. He wasn't predicting these things happened. He was claiming to know these things happened. So he warned us that America would be entering a civil war in the 2010s and that he himself had fought in that war at the age of 13 in the year 2011. And that because of this civil war, the new capital would be Omaha, Nebraska, instead of Washington, D.C. This was due to the fact that the U.S. would be split into three warring factions. He also included the very convenient caveat that he believed that he wasn't from our exact universe, but a parallel one that was maybe 1-2% to different than our own. The story of John Teeter grew. He even got his own website, run by a man named Oliver Williams, who claimed he was just a curious bystander who had the opportunity to be in contact with John a few times, and even interviewed him once. That interview was actually printed in Hustler magazine. Then, a whole book came out. It's now out of print, but the book is where people have really started digging into what they think and who they think is behind the entire John Teeter story. To get into the hoax part of John Teeter is honestly a whole iceberg of conspiracies, some bordering on almost more unbelievable than there being an actual time traveler from the year 2036. And you're here for more time travelers, so I won't dive into all those theories, but I will say a podcast called Chiluminati did a two-part series on John Teeter, and it was a big deep dive. And in the second part, they got, they really get into who they believe is behind the John Teeter mythos and why. So check them out if you'd like to hear more about that. I will link that in the show notes. I'll link part one so you can listen to both parts. When I was in high school, I knew this girl who was obsessed with the Beatles. She had Beatles shirts and lunchboxes and stickers and patches, and that's all she would listen to. Literally, she would she refused to listen to anything but the Beatles. Just Beatlemania alive in the early 2000s for this one particular girl. She was very unique. It was amazing. But, you know... One thing we disagreed on is she never gave much credit to the album Everyday Chemistry. You know, the famous Beatles album, Everyday Chemistry? What? You've never heard of Everyday Chemistry? With hits like Sick to Death or Mr. Gator's Swamp Jamboree? Wow. Fake fan. Sad. You know, a real fan would have traveled to another dimension where the Beatles never broke up, stolen a cassette of everyday chemistry, and brought it back to our dimension. (sighs) You know who's a real fan? James Richards. You heard me right. Look, I told you this episode wouldn't necessarily be about time travel, but also interdimensional travel. There's a website called thebeatlesneverbrokeup.com. All one word. Yes, that simple. You can go to it right now and check it out. It's from 2009 and definitely looks like it is. And buckle up. This is a doozy. Here is the first-hand account of this man's tale. This true fan's tale. Which you can also read in full on BeatlesNeverBrokeUp.com for yourself. Or you can relax and let me tell it to you. The following is an actual account of my experiences as of recently. Because of the nature of what has happened, 
I must remain anonymous until I feel it is safe to reveal my real name. But for now, you can refer to me as James Richards. On September 9th, 2009, I experienced... Oh my god, I'm sorry to... I I am so sorry to cut myself off. Uh, This is Shelby again, not James Richards. It is September 9th. Today, as I am recording this... Chills, you guys. Chills. Um, Okay, sorry, Mr. Richards. I will... Back to you. Back to you. On September 9th, 2009, I experienced something that I still am having trouble believing happened to me. I came into the possession of a cassette tape containing a Beatles album that was never released. In fact, not only was it never released, but it was recorded many years after they broke up. And no, I'm not talking about Klaatu. Now, this is where the story becomes slightly more unbelievable, and it is almost embarrassing to attempt to explain the incident to you for fear of viewing me as completely absurd. I must assure you, I am not insane or on drugs, and hopefully the audio from this tape will be enough proof that there is more than we think out there. I live in Livermore, California, but on September 9th, I was driving home from Turlock after visiting a friend for a few days. I had my dog with me, and I didn't have any plans for the day, so I decided to take a drive through a place called Del Puerto Canyon, just west of Turlock. There is a scenic road that is a fun drive and actually goes through to Livermore. I hadn't taken a cruise through it for a while, so I thought I would take this way home. It was about 2 p.m. A ways into the canyon, my dog started acting like she needed to use the restroom. So, I pulled over to the first available parking area to the side of the road and let her out while I stretched. At first I didn't notice, but then I heard the barking from 30 yards away. My dog was chasing a rabbit. Now, my dog is a pretty good dog, but if she is chasing something, then there is no stopping her, so the only thing I could do was become a part of the chase. They already had about a 40-yard head start, so I had to really book it. The uneven ground and soft dirt patches made it difficult to run, and it wasn't very far into the chase I had stepped into a rabbit hole, fell, and knocked myself unconscious. When I woke up, I was in a room with some furniture and electronics in it. I was taken care of with a bandage on my head, but I still felt uneasy about the situation because where I fell and hit my head was in a very rural, unpopulated area with no houses, and outside the window of the room I was in, I could hear traffic. I wasn't near the window in the room. It was actually on the other side, next to an unusual-looking electronic machine that I didn't recognize from anywhere I've seen before. The only reason this stood out was because it seemed out of place in a person's home, which most of the room resembled. I decided to get up and look out the window, but the door opened, and in ran my dog, who was pretty excited to see me. When I looked up, there was a man standing at the door. He was about six feet tall, had medium-long black hair, and was dressed casually nice but gave me a greasy vibe, if you know what I mean. He introduced himself as Jonas and asked me if I was okay, which I said, yes. He said he found me unconscious in a field with my dog barking at me. 
so I thanked him for helping me and my dog out, and that I was surprised my dog even came back to me. I then asked him the question that would make me start wondering if I, in fact, had gone crazy. I asked him, Where am I? About 20 feet from where I found you, he replied. I told him that couldn't be possible because there were no houses within at least 20 miles from where I last remember being. He then told me that what he was going to say next will be very shocking and unbelievable, and that if he didn't actually experience it himself, that he wouldn't believe it. He took a look at the machine near the window and looked back at me and said he transported me into parallel earth. He said he traveled to our earth dimension and found me knocked out in the blazing heat with nobody around to help me out. Normally, he said, he doesn't take outsiders through a portal, but in my case, he thought I needed urgent help. I immediately started asking questions about traveling to parallel worlds, since all I knew about the topic was YouTube videos of Mishio Kaku. He told me to slow down and that he would explain himself. Apparently in his world, a parallel travel machine can be purchased quite easily. While not cheap, it's pretty popular, even though the machine can be dangerous enough to cause death. In the 1950s of his dimension, the government was faced with the decision to continue to fund a space program, I'm guessing NASA, or a parallel dimension program called ARP-D. I can't remember what he said it stood for. I'm pretty sure the P-D is Parallel Dimensions. And I remember the acronym because I noticed it on a lot of the electronics in the room I was in. He then explained that the real danger of using one of the machines was exploring new dimensions. Since there are infinite amount of Earths in other dimensions, only a small amount have been explored. The problem with exploring unknown dimensions is the chance that you will die somehow once you walk through the portal doorway. He told me that people die from falling if the ground isn't close enough to where the portal opens, die from drowning, there are worlds covered in water, hard to reopen a portal underwater, die from fire, atmospheric issues. He said in order for people to avoid this, they would have to know that there would be similar ground in the dimension they were traveling to. So his government began to research worlds that were safe to transport to, even creating public spots where people could choose a menu of worlds to go that were all safe. Many of these worlds were lush vegetation worlds that were never ruined by man, only to be invaded by the large overcrowded population of the traveler's world. He said something about new industries that opened up because of this, one of them being something like dimensional life brokers. These people offer the chance to live as someone new in an already established similar world that doesn't know of dimensional travel, nor that there are people crossing the dimensional border to. Jonas said that he was an explorer for one of the dimensional travel agencies and was looking in new uncharted dimensions and came up my earth. We talked about a lot of things. It was interesting to see what similarities and differences we had between worlds. Foods, culture, TV, technology. We covered a lot. We also started talking about music, which was an interesting topic because there were many of the same bands between our worlds that existed, including the Beatles. When their name got brought up, 
Jonas mentioned that his brother just got back from seeing them perform at a concert recently, which I gave a weird look to and said, You mean they're still together? And he said, Yeah. I then told him about how they broke up in our world, and that John and George passed away. Apparently, in his world, they are all alive, healthy, and on tour still. Jonas then had me follow him into another room that had a bookshelf-looking thing with some cassette tapes. Yes, the music ones. Apparently, CDs never caught on in this world. And a tape player slash radio slash record player. Though it didn't quite look like the type of radios we have. The speakers looked more like crinkled cardboard, but sounded pretty good. I didn't get too good a look at the speakers, but they certainly weren't round. They almost looked like a tall accordion. The only Beatles album he had that was store-bought and had real cover art was Sgt. Pepper's, which the cover looked slightly different than the one we have, but the songs were all the same. The other six Beatles tapes he had were all like somebody recorded them onto a blank cassette for him and wrote the song titles on a card slipped in the case. A couple of the album titles written on the tapes I recognized, but there were about four that I had never heard of before. He played a few songs from one of them, which was totally surreal to hear Beatles music that was never made, at least in our world. We talked about it a little bit. He said a girl made the tapes for him when he was in upper school, what they call high school. She was a huge fan of them and wanted him to listen to them. He popped out the first tape and was putting in the second one when I told him he should record me a copy of one so I could take it back with me, thinking it wouldn't be a big deal. Well, the look Jonas gave me when I said this is part of the reason I am remaining anonymous. Not only did it sort of scare me, but it had a very serious, almost creepy look to it, followed by the phrase, not word for word, I can't remember what he exactly said, no, you are not to take anything back with you, back to your world. No pictures, no souvenirs, no tapes, nothing. I asked him why, and he wouldn't really say, except that for my safety, I wasn't to take anything back. Of course, I am not the type of person to go through all of this parallel world stuff and not grab something to prove the outrageous story of my experience. So, for the moment I told him I wouldn't take anything, and changed the subject. About an hour later, after some more talking, I heard a doorbell ring, and he left the room to check the door. I knew that I may not have another chance to take something, so I grabbed one of the tapes and put it in my pocket, and then shuffled the tapes around to make it look less obvious that something was missing. When he came back inside, I said I was kind of hungry, to just get us out of the room. I mixed up the tapes a little so it was hard to tell one was missing, but I didn't want to be there when he found out. So he then took me in the other room and fed me. For the most part, the food tasted like ours but was different product names and colors. The purple ketchup was the strangest. We talked a little bit more, and then I expressed the notion that I should be going because it was getting late. The time of day was identical to ours, as is all worlds. We went back in the room with the machines in it. I grabbed my dog and shook Jonas's hand for taking care of me after I was knocked out. I thanked him again and stepped through the portal, which felt like getting wet, but staying dry the entire time. Really weird. Where I put my dog on the ground, she even shook herself like she thought she was wet. 
Back in our world, I could see my car on the road still, and there was straight-line burn mark on the ground from where the portal had shown up. It was dark outside, and the only reason I noticed the burn was because it was still smoking from the heat. I walked back to my car, didn't run this time, and drove home. The worst part was I couldn't even listen to the tape on the way home because I didn't have a tape player in my car. I actually wasn't even able to listen to it at home either for the same reason, and had to go to Walmart to buy a tape player just to listen to it. Unfortunately, I don't have any information about the tape other than what is written on the card sleeve. The track names were written, as well as the album title, Everyday Chemistry. Everything else about it is as mysterious to you as it is to me. It also wasn't like I could have asked the guy anything about it, especially after taking it from him. I'll post some more about my experience in the coming days, but I have to go to work right now, and this post is already long enough. If anyone has any questions they want to ask me about the incident, then I've set up an email address you can contact me at. The Beatles never broke up at yahoo.com. I'll try and answer everyone's questions as best as possible. Lastly, if there is anyone out there that has experienced anything like this, then please contact me. Some of the things this guy said to me almost make me wonder if this isn't the first time dimensional travelers have been here. Signed, James Richards. Well, James never updated, at least nothing that I saw. He never gave any more information. Uh, The website has pictures of where James crossed into the other dimension and of the cassette tape itself with, you know, the, the insert card. I'm presenting this one without much comment. If you want to know more, he gave you his email address. You can ask him yourself. This last story was originally printed in 1988 in a magazine called Strange Magazine. It's referred to on modern websites as the Abbeville Time Slip Incident, if you'd like to re- uh, look this <laughs> this story up further. It's... I'll just get into the story. It was originally titled Time Traveler, and the story was written up by author Ken Mew. Mo? Ken Mo? I think that's how you say his last name. M-E-A-U-X. I know anything from my Louisiana in-laws. I think it's Mo, but please correct me if I'm absolutely wrong. <laughs> Here it is. I take pleasure in sharing with you the following occurrence because I personally interviewed one of the parties involved and have repeatedly gone over the incident with him these past six years. LC, his real initials, has been my friend for 15 years. But as we visited together one day about six years ago, he told me of this most amazing event in his life, which haunts him to this day. L.C. and a business associate, Charlie, fictitious name, had just finished his lunch in the small southwest Louisiana town of Abbeville. Still discussing their work, they began their drive north along Highway 167 towards the oil center city of Lafayette, about 15 miles away. The date was October 20th, 1969, and the time was about 1.30 in the afternoon. It was one of those picture-perfect days in fall, clear blue skies and a nippy 60 degrees, just right conditions for cruising along with the car windows rolled down. The highway had been practically traffic-free, 
until they spotted some distance ahead what appeared to be an old turtleback type auto traveling very slowly. As they closed the distance between their vehicle and this relic from the past, their discussion turned from their insurance work to the old car ahead of them. While the style of the auto indicated it to be decades old, it appeared to be in showroom condition, which evoked words of admiration both from Elsie and Charlie. Because the car was traveling so slowly, the two men decided to pass it, but before doing so, slowed to better appreciate the beauty and mint condition of the vehicle. As they did so, Elsie noticed a very large, bright orange license plate with the year 1940 clearly printed on it. This was most unusual and probably illegal unless provisions had been made for the antique car to be used in ceremonial parades. As they passed the car slowly to its left, Elsie, who was in the passenger seat, noticed the driver of the car was a young woman dressed in what appeared to be 1940s vintage clothing. This was 1969, and a young woman wearing a hat complete with a long colored feather and a fur coat was, to say the least, a bit unusual. A small child stood on the seat next to her, possibly a little girl. The gender of the child was hard to determine as it too wore a heavy coat and cap. The windows of her car were rolled up, a fact which puzzled Elsie because though the temperature was nippy, it was quite pleasant and a light sweater was sufficient to keep you comfortable. As they pulled up next to the car, their study turned to alarm as their attention was riveted to the animated expressions of fear and panic on the woman's face. Driving alongside of her at a near crawl, no traffic in either direction allowed this maneuvering, they could see her frantically looking back and forth as if lost or in need of help. She appeared on the verge of tears. Being on the passenger side, Elsie called out to her and asked if she needed help. To this she nodded, yes, all the while looking down. Old cars sat a little higher than the low profile of today's cars, with a very puzzled look at their vehicle. Elsie motioned to her to pull over and park on the side of the road. He had to repeat the request several times with hand signs and mouthing the words because her window was rolled up and it seemed she had difficulty hearing them. They saw her begin to pull over, so they continued to pass her so as to safely pull over also in front of her. As they came to a halt on the shoulder of the road, Elsie and Charlie turned to look at the old car behind them. However, to their astonishment, there was no sign of the car. Remember, this was on an open highway with no side roads nearby, no place to hide a car. It and its occupants had simply vanished. Elsie and Charlie looked back at the empty highway, and they sat in the car spellbound and bewildered. It was obvious to them that a search would prove futile. Meanwhile, the driver of a vehicle that had been behind the old car pulled over behind them. He ran to Elsie and Charlie and frantically demanded an explanation as to what had become of the car ahead of him. His account was as follows. He was driving north on Highway 167 when he saw, some distance away, a new car passing up a very old car at a slow pace, so slow that they appeared to be nearly stopped. He saw the new car pull onto the shoulder, and the old car started to do the same. Momentarily, it obstructed the new car and then suddenly disappeared. All that remained ahead of him was the new car on the shoulder of the highway. 
desperate to associate logic to this incredible sight, he immediately assumed an accident had occurred. Indeed, an accident had not occurred, but something more haunting, perhaps as tragic, and certainly more mysterious, had. After discussing what each had seen from his perspective, the three men walked the area for an hour. The third man, who was from out of state, insisted on reporting the incident to the police. He felt that it was a missing person situation, and they had been witnesses. Elsie and Charlie refused to do so, as they had no idea where the woman and child along with the car had gone. They were missing, all right, but no police on this plane of existence had the power to find them. The third man finally decided that, without their cooperation, he could not report this on his own for fear his sanity would be questioned. He did exchange addresses and phone numbers with Elsie and Charlie. For years, he kept in touch with them, calling them just to talk about his incident and to confirm again that he had seen what he had. High strangeness points to ponder over. What if she was from the past and went forward in time? And she is now an old lady, still living today. And what if, on that same day, it had been her instead of Elsie and Charlie behind the old car? That same now old lady would have met herself. What if the Earth itself has a super mentality and it creates, as a cosmic joke, all these anomalies of life on its surface just for its amusement or some other esoteric reason? What if, and this is the final and most depressing of the what-ifs, she had come from the past, popped into the future, and did not return to her past? The newspapers of 1940 would puzzle over a disappearance of a mother and her child one cold October day. Foul play suspected. The search continues, while she and the child continued traveling in and out of various time zones forever. You know how much I enjoy time slip stories. That one was great. Is it true? I have no idea. What do you think? It's... I, I'd i like to think, if it... Let's just say, play with me in this space. If it is true, I'd like to think what happened was one of two situations. First situation would be, there was a little bit of a time slip. Just like the women we talked about in the time slips episode... Uh, that kind of slipped and saw the, they were at Versailles and they saw the sort of Marie Antoinette type days and saw people in those, that form of dress and everything walking around and they just sort of went away. Maybe she just popped in real quick on the same highway, you know, and was freaked out because she saw the modern cars around her and was just like, what is happening? Maybe she had been driving for a while. Maybe she drove through a town and saw the modern town and was just terrified and then popped right back into where she was, you know? Or maybe she was a ghost. Uh, She and the child, maybe there was some sort of tragic accident or something on that highway a long time ago. Maybe that's why she looked scared. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it was a, you know, what do they call them? Um, Oh, the hauntings, they're intelligent hauntings where they know they are aware of what's happening. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I don't like the idea of them being stuck in a time loop forever. That was horrifying, and I'm just not super happy the author presented that because that's going to haunt me forever. Anyway, (laughs) what did you think of all three of our time-traveling tales tonight? 
let me know. I'd like to thank my friend Rosemary, who helped me out a ton with ideas for this week's topic. She's actually been hankering for me to do a cryptid episode next time I do another one of these low-key, true-ish episodes like this. So let me know what cryptids you think I should cover. I have to admit, cryptids is a, a piece of high strangeness that I don't delve into very often. So I'm kind of uh, an amateur on the subject. So let me know. So thanks for listening. Um, go follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go check out my guest spot on the Weird Crew podcast. Uh, send in your, your kid and teen stories. Uh, I look so forward to receiving them. I'll put out a little flyer on social media too for you to remember. And I'll be, I'll be accepting those until September 30th. And that will be the cutoff date. And it will be the strict cutoff date. I'm so sorry. And I hate being mean. I always have a parent or two who slips in under the radar like a day or two later. And I usually am so cool with accepting those. But this year I have a lot on my plate and I'm going to have to just get started as soon as possible. And so please have them in by September 30th because I really don't want to say no to anyone. I would feel real awful. So yeah, September 30th. I think I gave you all a pretty good amount of time this time. I think I usually give less than this. So I think that's a good amount of time. The 9th through the 30th. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to let you go. Again, I need to, I really do need to be resting my voice. I have another recording session. I, I'm so close to being able, in fact, I'm going to ask tomorrow if I can announce this new show to you because you're all going to be so excited. I know you're going to be excited and I'm working with someone so cool. This network that's just so cool and it's been a great a great thing to work on and like I said I will ask tomorrow if I can let you all know because it's going to be coming out pretty soon it's close enough that I think I can start telling people um the trailer isn't finished yet but ah I'm so excited anyway um I'm gonna go this week if you I haven't updated on baking very often it's been really hot I haven't been wanting to bake and turn on my oven I did bake some shortbread this week and it wasn't very good. It turned out very bland. Um, so I love shortbread. Like I love Walker shortbread, the ones that you can buy. And I just thought I'd, I'd try. I've made them before and they weren't, they were good. And I was like, okay, my next batch will be even better. And my next batch wasn't even as good as my first. They were just very bland. And I think I undercooked them. I don't know what happened. It was, you know, they, they can't all be winners. That's why we, baking is always practice. You're practicing every time you bake. We all make mistakes. So anyway, um, I think that's all. I'm going to let you go. I love you. Go drink some water. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.